everyone and welcome to Marking the Role, a podcast for teachers, for educators. We're based in the Illawarra area of New South Wales, but really the podcast is for teachers uh, everywhere. My name is Phil Dye. I'm an ex-teacher, although I still have some connection to schools. Uh, I'm been a journalist. I've been a musician. Um, and I'm also been a, a science educator, and I still do a little bit of that. Why did I decide to start with this podcast? In my dealing with teachers over the last few years, and this is pre-COVID as well, I realised there was an immense dissatisfaction amongst teachers. There was a disconnect between what the teacher went into the profession for in the first place, their passion to educate, their, their, their passion for the kids, and for what they were expected to do, which was quite different than what they thought they were going to be doing. I've been talking to teachers for the last month, getting their words, getting their voices, and I welcome your voice. Your voice uh, is very important in the podcast, and there are many ways that you can get your voice heard. You could go to the Facebook page and send a message. You can send a voice message. You can send a text message, and I'll read that out, or I'll get some, one of the producers to read that out. Uh, you can go to the Marking the Roll podcast uh, webpage, and you can fill out the form there, and I can contact you or simply read out what you've written. Now, many teachers have asked that their comments be anonymous. There seems to be a bit of a fear in saying what they really think. And yes, that is all right by me. I can make your comments anonymous and I can even change your voice so it doesn't even sound like you. Um, now, some of the topics we'll be discussing will be the use of technology in the classroom. Has it gone too far? Why do teachers leave the profession or so after maybe eight years? We'll be looking at the role of uh, educational bureaucracies. Um, and has it worked? Has it gone too far? Um, today, we'll be looking at how teaching has changed in the last 20 years. And I've got many voices um, that you can you can hear that give their opinion about how teaching has changed. Now, um, like any good educator, I try and have a brain break for uh, for students and a brain break for you every fifteen minutes or twenty minutes. Uh, while the podcast only goes for say thirty five to forty minutes, I'll be giving you a couple of brain breaks with some music interludes. Um, and while um, I'm based in the Illawarra. Um, I'll be including some Illawarra music, and today it's from a wonderful duo called We Mavericks. But before we get to them, let's talk to Margaret Dwyer. Margaret is an English teacher based in a high school in regional New South Wales. Welcome, Margaret. Hello, Phil. Now, um, today we're looking at... Um, uh, how teaching has changed in the last, you know, 15 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. Before we get to that, can you tell us about your teaching journey? I mean, w when did you start and where did you start? Okay, um, well, I started, um, was my second degree and uh, sort of figured out that I wanted to move into teaching. And um, so I was in Sydney, moved around quite a few different schools in Sydney, so got to experience different um, 
you know, environments and socioeconomic backgrounds with the students and um, that sort of thing, which was really interesting to see how your pedagogy pedagogy changes um, dependent on the cohort that you've got. Uh, then I moved into schools for special purposes for a few years, and um, then I'm back in mainstream now. Okay, so you've really had quite a, a spectrum of experience in different areas. Yeah, definitely, and taught interstate as well a right. little bit. Okay, but, hmm. so in those years, um, what is the one thing that you've noticed that has changed so much? Is there any one thing that, that comes to mind? Um, yes, but it's sort of, yes, paperwork, administration, um, but I don't think that that's anything new for anybody to know about. <laughs> um, you know, that it is just the the astronomical increase in administration that we're required to do to justify our every move. And, you know, I understand that we need to be held accountable for what we do because we're shaping, you know, the minds of the future. But it really is detracting from our ability to put all of our energy into teaching, which ultimately is what we're there for. Um, and, and how many hours a week um, in your schedule would that administrative work take? <laughs> well, I never leave school before 6pm. So, and I'm normally there by 8 o'clock in the morning um, and then I will come home wow. and still, if I have extra marking or anything to do, I'll do that at home. And then I generally will give one day on a weekend to doing schoolwork, but I refuse to give two. <laughs> there has to be a point. <laughs> so it turns into around about a 75 to 80 hour a week job. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, that is quite a dramatic change from when I first started teaching in 1978. Um, we had a life. We certainly had a good social life. We yeah. could um, follow our hobbies and then go on and involve the students in that a lot of the time in music and performance. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, an indication of it, admittedly I have um, moved up and I'm now at the sort of middle leadership level so there is the extra for me with that. But previously, um, you know, I mean, it's when I was teaching, I was still able to tutor, um, you know, three to four afternoons a week for, you know, four to five hours each each evening, as well as getting all of my schoolwork completed. So uh, there's absolutely no way that no. I could have a second income now, which is still necessary because the paying the pay increase hasn't no. happened well you could if you didn't so. sleep <laughs> <laughs> so we've got we've got the the massive administrative load which is which is i guess it's departmental is it and and that's what what comes they insist yep. that you do that um is there anything else that stands out that has shifted especially yeah. in a yeah. society sense has do you think the kids the students have shifted much yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. That's actually one of the points that I feel is probably um, most noticeable is that external influence on us. And it's the respect for teachers and our profession that has 
drastically changed. And when I think back to what it was like when I was at school, when I first started teaching as well, and to what it is now, and I'm just finding that more and more I'm noticing disrespect from parents and the community about teachers and about our profession and about our application to our job. Um, and that's making it a lot harder to do the job as well because there's generally quite a significant correlation between the vocal parents and their dislike of the education system and the students who are, um, you know, who have engagement concerns while at school. This disrespect leading to behaviour issues in, in, in the classroom. I believe so, yes. And, you know, I, I work very hard to build respectful relationships with my student and I'm fortunate that I've been quite successful in that and so I don't have as many discipline issues as some other teachers do. But there is definitely, um, you know, when the kids have got the support at home that don't worry about the teacher, they don't know what they're doing, you know, that whole uh, if you can't do, teach... Um, that is, you know, the, the kids are getting that support from home. So they're not feeling as though if a teacher is trying to guide them in a particular direction that they actually have to listen. Right. So it's not just the students that have seemingly lost respect for their teachers. It's, it's parents a lot of the time as well. Yeah, I do feel that that's the case. And I, I think there was an element... And I, I'm not sure whether everybody would agree with me, but there was an element with the beginning of COVID and the learning from home and parents initially sort of, you know, saying, oh, my gosh, I realise now how difficult it is for teachers. I'm struggling with one or two kids. Imagine having 26. Um, and there was that sort of shift and almost a respect developing but that seems to, as the uh, learning from home continued, um, it seemed to almost go the other way then and the parents were like, well, I can, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and it, it, it's so I'm not sure if that is necessarily where it started, but it's certainly something that I've noticed in the past couple of years as being yeah. um, quite a significant um, impact on, on student behaviour. And with that, um, as far as um, your leadership goes, um, yeah. do you get much help? I think, well, at the school that I'm at, we um, definitely have the support um, from our senior executives, but it's a question of what we can and can't do and how they can and can't support us. So, you know, we know that, um, we're all on the same team and we know that um, everyone is supportive, but it's a question of how far that support can go. Yes. We are definitely noticing the impact that the removal of social situations has had on these kids. And they're coming back. We've only just had our first full term um, in two years. <laughs> and the kids don't, they've missed out on really important social growth and to now have them back in the classroom on a consistent basis and expecting them to be at the level that they should be at when it's been two years since they've been expected to do that yeah so so it's it's not just 
you know, the fact that the the leadership might be a little bit hamstrung in what they can do to support you. It's the fact that over COVID, they've missed out on this massive um, growing experience. Yeah, absolutely. And then that makes how we handle the situation very delicate because you can't go in hardline because you've got to be aware of the fact that these kids have missed out on so much and... You know, we would make allowances for ourselves, so we must make allowances for the kids as well. So we've got the that change in the student cohort and probably the parent cohort as well as to how teachers are uh, respected. Is there anything else that really comes up? I've often thought over COVID that yeah. uh, are, are the students getting enough exercise and and chance to you know run it all off? Um, because I know we used to a long time yeah. ago, but I'm not sure whether we do now. Not really. The feedback that we've received from kids is they want to run around. They want to be able to expend the energy because they're being expected to sit and relax and, you know, not relax, but just stay stationary for such extended periods of time. And they, they're 16, 17, 18 year old young people who have, you know, endless energy. I remember those days a long time ago. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting, but in a science perspective, um, exercise is essential for a thing called neurogenesis, which grows new neurons inside the brain, and those neurons are for learning yeah. and remembering things. So without exercise, especially in the morning, yeah. uh, students are behind the eight ball. Yeah. They really are. Look, uh, just one final thing. If, if you were... Um, if you were talking to a young person who's um, just thinking of going into teaching and they were suitable for it, you thought that they were, you know, they they would be pretty good at it. What's one message you would give them? Oh, my most, I, I actually have three that I would say, but my most important thing is develop relationships with the students that are built on respect. We as the teachers, we're the adults, we're the professionals, and therefore we need to model appropriate behaviour. And if you've got the respectful relationships with kids, everything else doesn't seem quite so arduous because your 40 to 50 to 75-minute lessons, however long your your school has, um, then they're the enjoyable pieces of time. And what are the other two? My other two don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, when you first start out as teacher, as a teacher, you don't have to be the best at everything and you don't have to have a finger in every pie. You're better off to, you know, really focus on mastering your craft and being comfortable in that, being able to change things on the go and, and handle things at, at different times. Um, and until you've got that down pat, everything else is it's just going to make it more difficult. And number three? Number three... Because of the state of the education system, um, try not to let other people's bitterness and jaded outlook um, diminish your sparkle. Oh, wow. Because it's really easy to do. You talk to the veteran teachers and, you know, we're, we're jaded. Yep. We're exhausted and we've had enough and we remember what it used to be like. So our perspective is going to be a lot more negative than someone who is just bouncing into the teaching career and is excited about what they're doing. And we need that excitement. And we, 
the veteran teachers need to feed off the excitement, not the other way around. Margaret, it's been great talking to you. Um, and uh, I know you're embarking on term two. Good luck for term two. Thank you, Phil. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, just hoping that we can all get through this, get all get through term, through, term two unscathed. Yep. Thanks, Margaret. Thank you so much. And that was Margaret Dwyer, a English teacher from a high school in the southern rural area of New South Wales. Now, I mentioned we we're going to have a brain break. And uh, here's a brain break from a duo from the Illawarra called We Mavericks, a, a great track called The Graveyard. <laughs>
And that was Wee Mavericks from the Illawarra, and that's uh, Victoria Vignenza and Lindsay Martin. Uh, Victoria writes the songs, and a terrific guitarist, Lindsay, plays the, the fiddle and the mandolin, and they can, they've been seen quite a lot around uh, the Illawarra. Their new album is called Griefs a Gardener. Just look for them. They'll be performing at uh, Cobar. Camargo Folk Festival between 6th and 7th of May and then the 10th of 12th is a virtual spotlight showcase from the Folk Alliance International. So you just got to look up Folk Alliance International. Then they're off to New Zealand to tour for a month, so they'll be back after that. Um, you're listening to Marking the Roll, a podcast for teachers, and today's topic is how has teaching changed over the last 20 years? I think the one thing that I've experienced is the lack of respect for teachers. It used to be that we had the respect of the parents and the community, but now we can be abused by students, parents and whoever, and it's just expected that we take it. Um, what's worse is that, uh, um, you know, to report it, we, uh, we have to fill out so many forms and it makes the whole event even worse. Um, it's just better to take it on the chin. Um, yeah, of course, uh, it depends on the area that you teach in and the school that you're at. Um, a colleague here uh, reported a parent, and in the end, she got the blame because she was being honest um, with the parent. So, you know, evidently, we're not supposed to be honest. That was Julie, a teacher from a primary school in the southern Illawarra region of New South Wales, um, talking about... Um, really the lack of respect which is coming out again and again uh, in the voices of teachers. I managed to speak also to Henry Rajendra, who is a teacher, he's an Illawarra resident and he's the Vice President of the New South Wales Teachers Federation. I asked him what he saw on the faces of teachers every day. The first and, and foremost thing that, that uh, I see in the faces uh, of, of our teachers, and indeed when I, I speak with them, is just sheer e exhaustion. Um, term one uh, particularly was quite startling. Um, when I talk with teachers, hear what they're, they're up to and so on. But at the same time, it should come as no surprise uh, why teachers are feeling so e exhausted. And it's not just because of, of the impact of COVID. Um, it'll be a, a pretty... Uh, shallow analysis, um, and that's what politicians uh, have been um, exercising, uh, particularly from the government. COVID has only just exposed what has been a, a long-standing, uh, um, some structural problems in our system, including the, the staffing shortages. Um, the last um, you know, 10 to 15 years has seen significant changes in the work of teachers, an escalation of, of their work, um, greater um, demands on them to do unnecessary busy work from the employer. And of course, there's increases um, in expectations of parents and, and broader society of what they want from schools. And that's now impacting um, on, on, our, on our teachers, on our membership. And in effect, um, the decision to take industrial action uh, next week could, could be seen as a response to the significant changes and the complexities around teachers' work over the last 10 to 15 years. They just have not had a break, and we can see it on every face of every teacher. Yes. Um, look, every teacher that I've interviewed in the last week has talked about their total exhaustion, but very few of them 
name COVID as the cause. Um, teachers have told me of a, of a disconnect between the department bureaucracy, including NISA, and the teachers on the ground. Do you see that? And if you do, what could be done, done about it? Well, it's actually by design there's a disconnect between um, the, the department senior officers and the profession, and it's based on this, is that the vast majority of those in the leadership positions, the senior officers of the department, do not have, one, the qualifications of a teacher, they've never taught, and they've never led a school, but they have the audacity to somehow um, gather all their thoughts and tell teachers and principals how to run schools. And that has caused significant distress, disorganisation, uh, disconnect, and, and quite frankly, overload in terms of schools being overwhelmed, overworked, and at the end of the day, to the detriment of the way um, that we try to meet um, the needs, the learning needs, the social needs, the emotional needs of our students. It's, it's bizarre that no other industry or group of professionals would allow that to happen. There, someone completely overtakes who has no experience in the profession. Absolutely. And what has gone alongside uh, that, that, that by design change in the leadership of the Department of Education is also um, the, the abrogation of responsibility to schools. And we should never forget that with the introduction of local schools, local decisions in 2012 brought on that structural change where greater responsibility and, sh and sh um, blame shifting went to schools and therefore comes with greater responsibility and workload. And the, the government, the department, wash their hands of, of that kind of accountability um, should anything go wrong um, in, in our schools. They've walked away. They're, they're fracturing what we've always known uh, to be the, the, the single most important thing of our, of, our, of our schools is they belong to a system. But through local schools, local decisions, there is a significant fragmentation. Schools are left to their own devices. They've been told by the department and government, the answer is in your bank account. Uh, it's, it's over to you. And never has, has the government or the department, since the introduction of local schools, local decisions, um, held themselves to account um, as the leadership of, this, of, of the system. And uh, we've got a long way to get out of this, um, but we're, we're certainly feeling uh, the pain and the frustration um, courtesy of that policy, but of course, uh, the lack of experience at the leadership of the Department of Education. And that was Henry Rajendra, who is an Illawarra resident, but also the Vice President of the New South Wales Teachers Federation. Now, I know in that position, Henry would have an agenda to push. And while I agree with 80% of what Henry said, from talking to teachers, I don't think a 2 to 3 or 4% pay rise is going to help them in the job. One teacher said that the wage could double and it would still be an impossible profession. So there needs to be, yes, sure, money. Teachers need more money, most certainly. But that is not the key point. And I think society should understand that the money is not everything. It is the job that in many ways is untenable. I also spoke uh, to Kerry Howarth, a teacher who wanted to have her voice heard. She's a primary teacher, um, not from the Illawarra, she's from the Sydney region, and she had this to say. So when I first started teaching, the job was, um, oh, everything I dreamed of, it was 
uh, fun. You could have fun with the children. Um, the children most certainly learnt a lot. There was a lot of freedom in um, how you delivered things to the students. Uh, and I felt that the children learnt um, really well because they felt really well loved. They felt supported. They, their well, probably more their well-being was really looked after back when I first started because you did take the time. You had the time to uh, look out for their overall well-being. Um, yep. And now um, it's turned to me, it's turned very uh, driven by data. You have to test the children, assess the children um, constantly. And I feel that that cycle of uh, assessing, teaching, assessing, teaching, assessing, teaching, um, especially for young children, has... Uh, stressed them out a lot in general there's a lot more children that have a lot of anxiety related to um what was expected of them well so far in our podcast we have um, that administrative work has changed so much over the last 20 years and there is far more of it and teachers aren't um, aren't coping. We've got a lack of respect from the students and indeed the parents and possibly society that is mentioned as a major change. We've got the salary that the salary has not kept up. We've got the point that the leaders of the department, the leaders of the profession in government have no experience in teaching and are making decisions uh, based on perhaps um, a degree in uh, administration rather than a teaching degree. We've got the constant evaluation and the data-driven system of a department that is perhaps um, causing some degree of stress, especially to younger students. We've got the decrease in permanent positions and the increase in casual and temporary positions, or making some teachers feel like they haven't got a place in the school. And this was reinforced from a comment I received from a casual teacher. After being given the runaround by my principal regarding my position, I feel very undervalued and unappreciated at my current school. Although I have signed a contract for the full year, I'm told that I may not have a job for terms three and four. I gave my all to my students, but have been made to feel expendable. I really don't want to return as the environment is truly affecting my mental health. I care for my students and love what I'm doing, but the mean girl vibe and lack of integrity from above is too much. I worry about not finding a position in term two and now my leaving will affect future job prospects. However, not everything has been awful over the last few years. And according to one teacher, the students coped with COVID pretty well. I, yeah, no, I, I don't think they struggled at all, the children in my class. I think they did a fabulous job. And I think the majority of um, families did a fabulous job with them at home as well. Um, yeah, no, I was actually very impressed by how they came back both times. I'm sure not every teacher will agree with that, um, but at least 
it seems that some students didn't do too badly over COVID. I had one teacher contact me and said that during COVID, uh, the building work seemed to really get a kick on and and school facilities, uh, especially at his school, had improved. So it's not all doom and gloom. I promised a second brain break and here again is We Mavericks. Mavericks, a duo from the Illawarra. That was actually uh, from Victoria's first album, The Gap. Um, but you can go to their website, just uh, search for We Mavericks, and um, all the information about them is there, and you can hear them wherever you hear your music. Now, 
To finish today's episode, I wanted to speak to a principal. I spoke to Mark Smith, who is the principal of Lamandra School in the southwest of Sydney, about how teaching has changed in his view. Look, everybody knows that teaching is a performance and it's a four to six hours a day you are performing. You're performing in a role that that is very draining um, and it requires your absolute attention and for you to bring your knowledge and your passion to the role. That hasn't changed. That's still the same. And everybody knows that um, teaching is also about a relationship, about how you relate to your kids. That is still the primary element that a teacher has, the primary um, characteristic of teaching, and, and you know what good teachers like, look like. They're, they're the ones that the students say, it's not a teacher in the room, it's not the teacher in the room, it's my teacher in the room. And they've, they've, they've managed to, to cross that, that, um, that, that bridge where they are now somebody who is relatable for the students and somebody that um, is worthy of listening to. That stuff hasn't changed, but a lot has. Um, I think when I started teaching, you had more of a free hand. You, you could do the things that perhaps you wanted to do in a little bit more creative fashion, and you were trusted. As a teacher, you were trusted, and you had the respect of the community when they came into the school to speak with you. Um, I think that trust has been significantly eroded in the 30 or 40 years that I have been around schools. Um, it's not the starting point for people outside of schools is that not that teachers are professionals who are trustworthy and capable and competent, but teachers are people who need to do a task that other people will tell them what to do. So that that's, I suppose that's a significant shift that teachers are now driven by demands that perhaps come not from the best of you know, educational merit or educational intention and certainly not from their own creative urge to help students learn, um, it comes more from an auditing um, um, perspective. Teachers are required to do far more these days in terms of being accountable to to um, the system, really, and it's a system that um, at, the, at its highest levels have lo- has lost touch with teaching. Um, and the, the people that lead the department, for instance, in New South Wales, don't have education backgrounds. And I, that's that you may get good business managers, but you don't have people that have an educational perspective. And I don't think that would happen in any other profession. I don't think any profession would allow itself to be taken over by values that were that superseded the ones of that profession. Um, education has been sidelined in a sense, in the sense, in, in the in the move to make it more accountable to the system. Do you think, Mark? Just just on that point, do you think that um, it's perhaps uh, risk averse, something of avoiding insurance claims of um, such and such did something in a school or didn't do something in a school, and it's become so risk averse that all of this has come in. And therefore, education has missed out. Is that one of the reasons? I think you. I think you're absolutely right, Phil. I know that the wilderness program that I ran for many years for the department, um, it was it, it basically was terminated, and it, it was running on four or five sites around the state. It was terminated because the department no longer saw that they were willing to 
take the risk of things happening in environments that they had less control over. In other words, you know, outdoor settings, wilderness environments. Um, and teachers, so, so teachers are, um, you know, there is that level of mistrust I spoke of, but teachers now also look more over their backs, look over their shoulders to see what's coming. They're more, they're more driven by concern, um, the protect, the concerns around protecting themselves. And they're certainly encouraged by the system to protect themselves at every turn. Um, and I think that's a mark of that, that mistrust that, you know, perhaps all people working with students or young people are, are, are suffering to some extent, but um, that that easy, relaxed connection with students has, has certainly been shaped by, um, you know, greater community concerns about things where they go wrong. And okay, if the, if that's the system that has changed, and the and the the the, the, you know, the umbrella has changed, what about the student themselves? What about the cohorts that are coming through that you have dealt with? I think students are often a reflection of the values that the parents have perhaps instilled um, within them. Um, and I mentioned before about that, you know, teachers not being held in the same high regard that they used to be. And I think that's, you know, certainly that plays out in the school, in the playground, um, in the way that students interact with staff, in the way that students um, can at times be quite... Um, um, Quite uh, rude to teachers. They, 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 there's not a there's not an inherent respect for people providing the skills that they've got to the students. Like it's you know it's not the communication that a student might have with their doctor or their dentist, um, but they feel free to, to have that same conversation, a quite, a quite disrespectful conversation with the teacher, and ignore ignore things that may be said or asked of them. Uh, so, uh, but I think that's a I think that's a reflection of what's happening in the community too, and. Um, you know, we can always, as the media tends to do, sensationalise the stories where things go wrong. Um, but in most cases, you know, the, the, that, the, the sanctity of that student-teacher relationship is, is, um, it's got, at its essence, it's such a fantastic relationship to have with students to be able to, uh, help them learn things that they didn't know before. And to know that they can trust in somebody's skill to help them get beyond where they are right now, and, and that—that's as a teacher, that's that's they're they're the, they're the magic moments when you can see students uh, learn, and you can sense that they've appreciated that, that what you've been able to give them. And what a wonderful way to finish! That was Mark Smith, the principal of Lamandra School in the southwest of Sydney. You've been listening to Marking the Role, a podcast for teachers, and today's topic was how teaching has changed in the last 15 to 20 years. There's been many points that have come up today, and all of those points will be on the Marking the Role Facebook page, and they'll also be on uh, the web page. Just search for Marking the Role podcast, and remember, role is spelt R-O-L-E. You've heard music today from We Mavericks from the Illawarra. Next week, we'll be looking at why teachers are leaving the service. I think some of those answers have come forward in the first episode. But next week, we'll be looking at ways to stop it happening. And just as a teaser, 
there's the idea of teachers working in front of a class for four days a week and having one full day of administration work and getting to talk to their colleagues. That's one of the points that have come up. My name's Phil Dye. I'm the presenter. I'd like to thank Lee Louise, the producer, and um, I will see you next week. Thank you.